It is a privilege for us to have Brother John Collier with us this week for our revival meeting. We've already been blessed through the messages this morning, and we're looking forward to tonight and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Brother Collier served as an evangelist with the Bill Rice Ranch, and then he has also served as a youth pastor in Garland, Texas, and then pastor in Waco, Texas for, I think, 49 years, and so he's about 110 years old now, but... Uh, <laughs> We're glad he finally retired and gets to travel more and delighted to have him here with us. You listen carefully as he comes and preaches to us tonight. All right. Thank you, preacher. Jeremiah chapter 18. music this morning and then the junkyard quartet tonight that was uh, that was that was good tonight but uh, I didn't know whether to call them the junkyard or the backwoods brothers but uh, since I'm in Kentucky backwoods my but anyway I'll stop while I'm ahead but uh, it's always good to see deaf people in the church service Happy to see them here tonight. Uh, a good friend of mine who's deaf went home to be with the Lord a month or so ago, uh, Ronnie Rice. Ronnie was the adopted son of Dr. Miss Bill Rice. They adopted him when he was 16 years old. Became a great evangelist to the deaf. Traveled all over the world uh, preaching. I think he was in 40-something countries. And just a, a great young man, when I first met him, I took young people from uh, Levon Drive Baptist in Garland uh, to the Bill Rice Ranch in Tennessee and met Ronnie there. He worked at the ranch. He was the dishwasher. And uh, we, he fell in love with my kids from Texas. And uh, we just sort of adopted him. And every time we'd come, he'd, he'd come to all of our ball games and Bill Rice III kept trying to tell him, you can't show favorites. You can't do that. Oh, he said, but I love Texas. And uh, I said, Bill, you can't fault him for that. Good night. And uh, but Ronnie became a very dear friend. Then later when I went on staff at the ranch, became camp director, we decided that during the... Uh, Deaf weeks that Ronnie would close camp at night uh, down on what we call the patio and he would tell a joke and I would translate for the hearing people that were there that didn't know sign language. And I hate to say this, but their jokes and our jokes are two way different things. What is funny to, to a deaf person is not necessarily funny to a hearing person. And Ronnie told one one night, and I mean, I about cracked up laughing, but people were getting sick and, and listening to it and about to throw up. And if you ask me after the service, I'll tell you about it. But uh, so we decided to do that during the hearing weeks, and Ronnie would tell it, and I would interpret to the hearing people. And we had a great time doing that. And uh, the hearing teenagers went wild hearing his jokes. Jeremiah chapter 18. 
The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the day is in the uh, clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And in what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then will I repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. I was thinking this afternoon as I was praying and looking over at what to do tonight, just how many times I have preached on Jeremiah chapter 18. I don't know how many messages, but You know, I've dealt with the clay, and I've dealt with the potter's house, and I've dealt with the wheel. But tonight, I want to remind us again of these parts of Jeremiah's prophecy. But I want us to delve deeper into the message that God gave Jeremiah the prophet to give to the nation of Israel. Now, Before I get too far into the message, the church is not Israel. There's a move now in theology to make the church Israel. Again, you have to go to ignorant theology school to believe that. There's no way that the church is Israel or is Israel the church. We are the church. We are made up of both Israelites and Gentiles. God is calling out a people for His name of every nation, kindred, and tongue. By and large, God is not dealing with the nation of Israel now during this dispensation of the church we call the Grace Age. But one of these days, He's going to take the church out of here. It's called the Rapture. I often tell our people at home, one of these days, Gabriel's going to toot and we're going to scoot. And we'll be out of here. And the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. And when the church is gone, then God turns His attention fully back again to the nation of Israel. So the church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. But yet there are some lessons that we can learn. There are some things that, as Paul put it, that everything that happened to the 
Israelites happened to them for an example for us upon whom the end of the world is going to come. So therefore we can learn lessons that will stand us in good stead of what Israel did and what Israel didn't do and because of what they did, what God did, and what they did not do, what God did because of that. We need to learn from Israeli history. We need to learn from Old Testament history of how they were blessed by God or why God brought judgment upon them. And I think it would do us good as the church to realize that God, even His chosen people, He judged them very severely. And why we think that we as the church cannot be judged severely is a very terrible way to think. I am around people all the time and so many times I hear people talk about, you know, God just is not going to do anything really bad to America because of how many missionaries we have sent out, how many hospitals we have built, how many schools we have built, how many orphanages we have built. Schools, orphanages, colleges, hospitals. If you're not careful, you get into a social gospel rather than a born-again gospel. The church... The bride of Christ has a special place just like Israel did. But God will not tolerate our disobedience. And by, I must remind each of us that the nation of Israel is not that piece of land in the Middle East. The nation of Israel are the Jews themselves. This building is not the church. It's where the church meets. It's where you and I as the church come together to worship Him, to praise Him, to learn about Him, to make decisions to be more like Him. It's where we come together as the body of Christ in this place. And so God's not going to judge this building. He's going to judge us. Collectively and individually. Based upon what we do with the potter's wheel. I love this story. This chapter in, in Jeremiah's prophecy. It's amazing when you realize in chapter 18 here. The prophet is given a command, go down to the potter's house. You know, it's amazing. Uh, we don't have everything that actually happened in minute detail. If we did, we couldn't carry the Bible around. We have what's important. But I've often wondered if Jeremiah ever thought about, why do I need to go down to that nasty, dirty potter's house? There's dust everywhere. I mean, I could get that on my sandals. My feet are going to be dirty. Why do I have to go to the potter's house? Always remember this. He had to go to the potter's house because God said go down to potter's house. 
If God said go down to the vineyard, he'd go to the vineyard. You and I have to learn when God tells us to do something, it, it's not a request. Amen. It's a command. Amen. So he tells him to go down to the potter's house and sure enough, he goes down there and he begins to watch the potter. I don't know about you, but I enjoy, we have a place there in Waco out in the country and this people that live there make pottery. I love to go out there. They have a restaurant. That's the main reason I like to go, but uh, we go out to the restaurant, and then I, I always stop by to see if they're making pottery that day, and I love to watch them, and I always think about Jeremiah chapter 18. Do you notice what he said here? He said in verse 4, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel. Now watch this. As seemed good to the potter to make it. God has a plan. God has a program. God has a desire for your life to turn out a certain way. Now if you're taking notes, this is the title of my message tonight. I'm losing. Did I do something wrong? I was louder here. I mean, I don't think I need to be louder, but I was louder here. But y'all are scaring me back there, guys. I tell you, I'm afraid to touch this thing, see if it'll knock a fire out of me. But anyway, anyway, let's go. Where was I before I lost my trail? He went down there to the potter's house, and that potter, the clay, is a type of your life and my life. And it's God that has a desire. Do what? You need to turn it on. I got muted. There you go. Oh, thank you. Woohoo! <laughs> Hello. Do I need to start over? Okay. <laughs> yeah. If you're taking notes, I just entitled the little talk I'm going to do tonight is that he is still the potter. He is still the potter. God does not save us and then leave us to ourselves. God does not save us and place his Holy Spirit within us for you and for me just to do what we want to do and be what we want to be. He has a plan. Now what happens is, you and I are different from clay. Paul calls us in Romans chapter 12, he calls us a living sacrifice. Again, that's almost a misnomer. That sounds like a contradiction. A living sacrifice. You go back to the Old Testament and when they would put the lambs up and those that had just been born and that first year, then they would take those that were good and they would put them up and they'd watch them for an extended period of time to make sure they had no spot or blemish and then they would take that one little lamb out and they would take him to the priest and that priest would slay that lamb and catch the blood and that became the Passover lamb. Now listen to me very carefully. When that lamb left that lot, it was never coming back. He had no choice. He had no will in the matter. 
Can I put it this way? He was a dead sacrifice. You and I are living sacrifices. You and I can get off the potter's wheel anytime we want to. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? God can start working in our life. God can start convicting us. God can start disciplining us and fashioning us and moving us in a direction that He wants us to go. And we can say, I don't like that direction. I want to go over here. Now watch it. You can do that. But you'll be marred in the potter's hand. And you know what He'll do eventually? He'll get you back on that wheel. And He will fashion you. He'll pressure you. He'll mold you until you become that vessel that He wants your life to be. Boy, I told you this morning I was saved when I was 19 years old. People don't believe this. I may have said this to y'all two or three years ago when I was here, but I don't remember. I used to remember a lot better 40 years ago. But anyway, I was very bashful. I, I was timid. I was almost an introvert. Uh, people don't believe that, but if my sisters were here, they'd, they'd tell you that's the truth. I, I was so bashful, I had to go in the closet, change my mind. I could read. I could read well in school, but I didn't want them to ask me to read in Sunday school. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I didn't even want them to ask me to leave in, leave in silent prayer. Don't call my name. Don't do that. I was just bashful. I almost flunked senior English because I wouldn't give an oral book report. Principal called me in, almost beat me half to death and said, you will give that. You'll fail if you don't give it and I don't want you here next year. You're getting out. you giving that. I did. Saved in January of 1962, and I'm talking about that next week. Something inside me said that I was supposed to be a preacher. Scared the living daylights out of me. Now, I hear about guys who say, God called me to preach, but I, I ran from God. I, I'm not very smart, but I... I, every time I hear somebody say that, I, I'd always think, where are you going to go to get away from me? If He is omnipresent, wherever you run to, He's already there because He never left there because He's there before you got there. Amen. Where are you going to run from Him? But I just told the Lord, I said, I believe you called John Collier to preach, but it's another one. <laughs> Somehow the angel got it mixed up and got a hold of me. Because, you know, and I, I was just so honest with God, I said, it seemed like a preacher ought to want to get up and talk to people. I don't. But God just kept dealing with me. I remember at night after I got off work, I'd get my little old Bible. I'd go out on the country roads. <laughs> so silly now, but I'd find me some cows out there in the field and I'd pull up by the fence, barbed wire fence. I'd get out there and preach those cows. I'd just preach at them. They didn't know I was scared to death preaching to them. 
But I thought, I, I'm going to try it. You know, I, I think I may have a few cows make it into heaven. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I remember after, honestly, after three months, March of 1962, Sunday morning, Temple Baptist Church, Garland, Texas, I got the courage and I walked down the aisle and took my pastor by the hand and I said, Pastor, God's called me to preach. This is the truth. He looked at me and said, Really? I said, Well, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty well satisfied with it. He said, Are you sure? I said, Yes, sir. He said, I couldn't talk you out of it, could I? I said, Well, good night. What's happening here? So I went over and sat down and he stood up and had a card and he said, Brother John Collier says God's called him to preach. We'll find out Wednesday night because he's going to preach his first sermon right here. I remember my whole life came in front of me. The only thing I can remember in the Bible I thought when he said that was thou fool. I thought you'd go off to school and get your edumentation and then, then preach. But eventually I found out tools give, uh, schools give you tools. God has to put the preach in you. Boy, I got brave. Boy, Brother Tim, I got to pray and God fill that building up. Lord, if you'll fill that building up, I'll let them have it. Who ever heard of an independent Baptist church being full on Wednesday night? They just didn't know my mother. My daddy told me mama was on the phone every day calling our in-laws and outlaws and everybody she knew. My baby boy is preaching his first sermon Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. If you're not there, don't count yourself a friend of ours. <laughs> mama knew how to get people to church. I got there about an hour early and I was over in a little ante room and I still, when I pray, a lot of times I walk with my eyes open, but I walk praying. I was praying, oh God, let me let, me let them have it tonight. I didn't know what it was, but I was going to let them have it. About 7.15, I went over and peeked out. There was hardly a place left in the auditorium. I got so scared. I broke out in a cold sweat. I barely made it over to a chair and I sat down. I got so nauseated, it wasn't even funny. About 7.29, my pastor came in and said, were you ready? I said, no, sir. He laughed. He said, you got to be ready, man. I said, no, you do. They pay you. They don't give me nothing to do this. <laughs> but I knew I had to go. I went out. I remember I sat down with him, had a little bench up there and and I was afraid to look up, afraid I'd see somebody I knew. That's the only time I can remember in a church service I wanted them to sing more songs. <laughs> Just keep singing. After not near long enough, they turned it over to my pastor and he said, we're anxiously awaiting to hear what God's laid on Brother Collier's heart. And I thought, me too. Something was laying there. Boy, it, it was moving around. I mean, I was sick. 
I got up, took my watch off because the evangelist preaching when I got saved, he took his watch off. I laid my watch up there like he did. I had a little old puny outline. I put it over there, read my text, 1 Samuel chapter 15. My title was Defective Consecration. My title was longer than my outline. I read my scripture, preached my outline, looked at my watch, and three minutes had passed. I thought, I can't let them out that quick. So I went to the bottom, and I preached it back up to the top, and five minutes had passed. So Adam turned to Genesis chapter 1. And I said, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. He did it in the beginning. And my dad just ducked his head. I preached my outline twice, everything I knew from Genesis to Revelation and some things I made up. Pastor didn't tell me how to close out. I did all that in 11 minutes. I looked up and said, that's all. On the way home, Dad said, son, I think that's the best thing you said all night long was, that's all. But I stayed on the wheel. I stayed on the wheel. I can't tell you I've stayed on the wheel all the time. And I can tell you this, I have some more marks on me, spiritually speaking. We sing that song our children do at our church, Kids Under Construction. The Lord's not finished with me yet. And He's not finished with you. But notice it said there that it was marred in the potter's hand. That is, that wasn't what he wanted. That wasn't what he was shaping it. And so what he did is that he crushed it. He crushed it to make it what he wanted to be. Now notice what it says there in verse number 4 again. He said, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He shall give you the desires of your heart. You mean He'll give me anything I want? Yeah, as long as you're delighting yourself in the Lord. Because when you're designing your, delighting yourself in the Lord, then you're going to be listening to Him and He'll give you what He wants you to have and you'll be thrilled to death with it. Amen. I'm the first person in my family ever to go into full-time service for the Lord. I'm the first preacher in my family on either sides of my family. I'm the first one to ever go to college. I'm the first one to ever be an evangelist. I'm the first one to ever go overseas to preach. Why has God allowed me to do that? I'm on the wheel. I'm on the wheel. Now don't say anything out loud, but does anyone come to your mind it seems like that they just have difficulties in their Christian walk all the time? I, I can't tell you why, but I can tell you this. It could be the potter is working the wheel. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? 
The circumstances of our life, watch it, are never happen chance. God orders our steps. I, I, I get tickled sometimes young people will come to me and they'll say, Preacher, uh, you, you know I'm searching for God's will. And I'll tell them it's not hidden. If Almighty God hid something, you think you could find it? His will is so perfect in this book. And He will lead you. And the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You walk with God. You serve God. You live for God. You can't miss God. Because He'll order your steps. I have, and it's usually young ladies. Over the years they'll come and they'll say, Preacher, I just don't think I'm going to find a husband. Sometimes boys will come and they'll say, Preacher, I, I really want to get married, but I just can't find the right one. Let me tell you, let me tell you what I tell my young people. The way you find the right one to marry is you stop looking for them. Because you're not smart enough to find them. Let God bring them into your life supernaturally. And it'll work. I remember going to Tennessee Temple. Uh, Brother Tim, did you ever know E.C. Haskell? E.C. was youth pastor at Miller Road Baptist in Garland, my hometown. I didn't know him. And I went off to Tennessee Temple in Chattanooga, and E.C. came back for graduation at Temple. And I was good friends with Leanne Robertson. And she introduced me to E.C. And he said, why don't you ride back to Texas with me for the summer? I said, hey, hey great, I will. We got to be friends. He, we got pretty well close to Garland. He said, hey, two weeks from now I've got a youth retreat out at Camp Elhar. Would you preach it? I said, I'd love to. I went out, preached Friday night a couple of times, Saturday morning a couple of times, and I didn't go to Miller Road, but I told Mom and Dad on Sunday morning, I said, I'm going to go out there to Miller Road. They were nice enough to have me come speak. I'm going to go out there for church. Mama said, I think that'd be good. So I went out there and went through Sunday school. I went in the auditorium. I didn't know where to go, so I went in the old man's class in the auditorium. <laughs> now I'm old enough to really be a member of that class. But anyway... <laughs> I was sitting there and the choir came in to start the service and I perused the choir and I went, wow. My aching back. That's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't tell you what that preacher preached. I prayed during the service and my prayer was, Lord, don't let her be dating somebody. Boy, as soon as that served, I grabbed E.C. I said, E.C., introduce me to her. He said, you met her Friday night. I said, it was dark. <laughs> I would remember that girl. He introduced me to Virginia. We talked for a few moments and I said, hey, uh, would you like to go out after church tonight and get something to eat with E.C. and Carolyn? Come to find out Carolyn was her best friend and they were engaged to be married and E.C. and Carolyn, not Virginia and Carolyn. 
And uh, we went out, and four years later, we were married. Here's the amazing thing. Listen to me. We went to the same high school. Same high school. I'm two years older than her. She traveled with the Christian kids. I traveled with the jocks. I was lost as Hitler. God had to send me to Chattanooga and bring me all the way back to Garland for me to meet a girl that was in the same high school with me that was going to be my wife for 49 years. Travel the world with me. I would have never found her had I not been in God's will in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Supernatural. My son, Wynn. <laughs> this is funny. Wynn, one of his best friends is Will Rice, Bill's third son. Actually, he's William Henry Rice the fourth. Everybody he called Will. They went to Pensacola together, roomed together. So they made a bet. We're going to see who in four years can date the most different girls in four years. Well, about six weeks into it, Will met Cena. He was out of the running. They were eventually got married. When, I mean, he dated well, way over a hundred different girls in four years and never met one that, you know, said, yeah. So he came back to go to Dallas Theological Seminary, working for me at the church and doing our college ministry. And he came in to me one day, Daddy, do you think Vonda's going to get married before I do? Vonda's four years younger. She was now a freshman at Pensacola. I said, son, at the rate you're going, Vonda's kids are going to get married before you do. <laughs> Daddy, I'm serious. I said, I am too, son. You may have to lower your standards a little bit. You're looking for a combination of the Virgin Mary and Joan of Arc. You ought to look, you know, maybe at Grandma Clampett or somebody, you know. A few weeks passed and Vonda called him and said, when there's a young lady that you need to come meet here. He told me, I said, here's my credit card, take off. And that's how he met Miska. And how they've been married, celebrated this last week, 25 years of marriage. When during our college ministry, came to me one day and he said, Daddy, can I take the college kids to Branson, Missouri for a weekend? I said, sure. Well, Vonda's best friend, Elisa, she had met a boy at Pensacola and they were dating Tom. He's from Michigan. He called Wynn and said, can I surprise Elisa in Branson? Wynn said, you call her daddy and if Coach Walton calls me and says it's okay, you can, but said, if he doesn't say it's all right and you show up, not only will I kill you, my dad will kill me. So if we don't want two murders, let's just, you know. But Coach Walton said it was all right. Guess what he did? He asked Jason Morgan to come with him from Michigan to Texas, uh, Missouri. And guess what? He met Vonda. And Vonda met him. And four years later, they were married. Had to bring them from Michigan to Branson. We had to go from Branson, uh, Waco to Branson. 
And that's how God brought them together. When God does it, it's better. You don't have to work at it. I had one boy said, Preacher, do you think that a young man is attracted to a girl because she's pretty? You think that is the first thing that attracts you? I said, well, I don't know, but it's not the last. <laughs> I've never had a young man come to me and say, Preacher, I met the ugliest girl I've ever seen, and I love her and I'm going to marry her. I, it's just never happened that way. Now, I've seen some of them that were ugly as the word, but... Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. What I'm saying is, if you'll stay on the wheel, if you'll stay in the center of God's will, if you'll keep doing what God wants you to do. As we go through our life, I think we need to stop and pause and think almost every day that God was teaching Israel here lessons and the, the prophet Jeremiah was to give them God's message. And by the way, all I'm doing is giving you God's message tonight from the 18th chapter of Jeremiah. God goes on and He says this to the nation, the people of the nation. He said, if a nation that I want to bless disobeys me, I'm not going to bless them. Now watch it. He's talking about people that make up the nation. America doesn't sin. Citizens in America sin. Christians in this, this church does not sin this building. You and I as saints of God in this place, we sin. And God decides whether to bless or to punish by the fact of how you and I are responding to the potter molding us the way He wants to. He said if they are disobeying me, but they repent, then I also shall repent. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive their sin. Do you notice this? Then will I heal their land. One thing that you and I must be very careful about, my dear friend, is that we have to make sure we're part of the remnant. We have to make sure we're part of that group that still follows the God of this book. That we don't follow this world. This world doesn't cause us to change what we believe. We take our stand. And as Paul said to the Ephesian church, having done all just stand. Can I say it this way? Having done all, just stay on the wheel. God is still the potter. He is real. He, him being the potter is true. Whether you and I like it or not, He is the potter. He has never ceased to be that one 
who molds and fashions our lives the way He wants us to be. We can rebel because we, again, we're that living sacrifice. But you cannot, you will not get away from God. It may be the last five minutes you're alive, but God will have you. The gifts and calling of God, Romans says, are without repentance. I remember when I was going to ask Virginia to marry me. My, I had a good friend who, by the way, was my best man. I don't know why we call the groom the best man. I mean the, the best man, the best man. The groom's the best man. I mean, if the groom's not the best man, she's marrying the wrong one. Or she's taking second best. Or third or fourth. But he told me he was a businessman and he said, look, I've got a fellow that I do business for. He's a Jewish fellow and he has a friend who owns a jewelry business. He's a diamond distributor down in downtown Dallas. Uh, why, why don't you, let me take you down there and we'll get Virginia's ring through him. I said, Bill, I don't have enough money to go to a place like that. He said, well, yeah, you do. I mean, it doesn't matter. So Mr. Alvin Zidell took us down there. We had to go through four electric doors to get into this place. Two big German shepherds sitting over in a corner. I thought, I am in the wrong place. Then Alvin Zidell and Mr. Schwartz, they began to dicker on trading an apartment house for a diamond. I said, I am wrong. I don't need to be here. Finally, they... Stopped talking and he looked at me and he said, Okay, Johnson, how much you want to spend? I, I said, Well, about $150. He didn't laugh. He didn't say, You're an idiot. He said, Hey, spend 200 and let me choose the diamonds. I said, Okay. He said, Hey, you want to meet my dad? I said, Yeah. I didn't really want to, but I said, Yeah. He was a man, all he spoke was Yiddish. He was a diamond cutter. And I was so fascinated watching him cut this diamond. Now I'm going someplace with this, alright? He never looked away from the diamond. He speaking Yiddish, Mr. Schwartz would translate. And he had this thing and he would look and had these big goggles looking things on and he had a little hammer and he was tapping away, cutting, making facets on that rough diamond, cutting away the impurities. I was fascinated. I said, what do you do if he's got this chisel and he's tapping, but he can't get it to turn loose? He said, oh, that's simple. He said, throw something to his dad. Oh, his dad got a little bigger chisel, got a little bigger hammer, it came right loose. I said, man, that'll preach. Every one of us are diamonds in the rough. God's the chief diamond cutter. And all He does is take the least amount of resistance He has to use and He'll get that impurities out of us. Those things He's not pleased with those things that He wants to change about us 
to make us someone after His glory. But if we rebel, He just gets a bigger chisel and a bigger hammer. And sometimes it's a sledgehammer. Sometimes it might be a jackhammer. But He loves you enough not to let you be on your own. He'll put you back on the wheel. I was preaching in Oxford, Alabama for Bud Grinstead. I don't know if you know Brother Bud Grinstead. Temple graduate. Man in the church was a jeweler, made jewelry. Brother Bud took me over to his house because I wanted to buy Virginia a piece of handmade jewelry. We went in there and he had a shop set up at his house and he had a crucible and he had a fire going under it and he would talk to us and he never would look at us and he was melting silver down and he had these big tweezers and every once in a while he'd reach over and, and he'd pull it out. I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm purifying it. He said, the heat causes the impurity to come to the top and I take it out. I said, how do you know when it's pure and there's no more in it? Listen to me. He said, when I can see my face in it. I said, oh, glory to God. God wants to see Himself in us. And He'll have to use the fire. He'll have to use the chisel and the hammer. But He will make us a vessel unto honor if we submit to the potter. Isaiah said it this way, Hear my Lord, send me. I'm showing up. I'm surrendering. I'm yielding. Now watch it. You're going to have to do this a whole lot. Have you ever noticed that you make a decision for Christ and it seems like the next service you need to do it again. Are y'all hearing me? Is, is anybody out there? That's because we leak. We're still in the flesh. We have to battle this flesh all the time, every day. Every day we have to battle it. But we've got to battle it. Christianity is not a garden party. It's a war. It's a battlefield. And we have an enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And the worst one we have to deal with is our flesh. Here am I, Lord. Send me. I look back on these 60 years of preaching. And I can see how God in His infinite wisdom has worked so much with me. And the thing that amazes me is He never stopped. He never gave up. He never said, I'm washing my hands with you, Collier. I've had to say so many times, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And every time He does. Every time. 
tonight ought to be a good night for we as the church in this place to say, Lord, it's me again. I'm here again, Lord. And I want to walk with You. I want to get on that wheel. And I want You to make of me the vessel that You want me to be. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful You gave us the example of Jeremiah and Israel and the potter's wheel, the house of the potter, just to let us know that You want to make of us a vessel that pleases You. A vessel that You want to fashion. A life that You want to take and won't necessarily be what You're doing with somebody else. It'll be us individually. Help us tonight, Lord, to say, Here am I, Lord. Lord, I come back to the potter's wheel. I come back to You, Lord. Father, unless we see churches like this church, people like these people, till we get serious with You, Lord, till we get so serious about our relationship to You, not in salvation, that's settled, Lord. but to be Your vessel, to be clay in Your hands for You to do with us as You please. May we decide tonight I'll be clay in the potter's hand. We ask You this in Jesus' name.